Good morning, this is Randy Landry, and this is my 45th podcast on Common Sense and Ramblings in America. Today I'm going to read from my 19th chapter on my memoirs. Um, As always, you can read each chapter um, in my blog, common-sense-america.com. And uh, this chapter is entitled Chapter 19, Critical Care. Um, which is where I will discuss, obviously, my stint in the ICU, IMC and ICU. Okay, I will begin without any further ado. I'm reading from my memoirs. When I left my previous hospital and came to my new one, I had no aspirations for management, however. It became soon apparent that I could not escape that role because during the interview process, I was offered the role of clinical supervisor or chargers. After discussing what my salary options were, I realized I would take a major pay cut if I were to go back to the floor. So economics decided for me. I continued that role for a period of nine months when administration decided to stir the pot up some. They basically fired all the clinical supervisors and replaced them with part-time charge nurses. We all were given the option to stay there, but that meant we would have work floors as regular nurses with maybe picking up a day or two as a relief chargers. Well, half the clinical supervisors out and out quit. The rest of us tried other options at the hospital. Within a few months, administration realized what kind of mistake they had made. Not only did they lose a very large number of experienced nurses, they now had a shortage of people willing to even do to fill the roles of relief charge nurses. The charge nurses routinely had to cover two and even three medical telemetry floors, even though it has been years since they reinstated the position of clinical supervisor. They still have not fully recovered from that policy change. And if an RN had did something comparable on the floor, they would have been immediately fired, but the administrators responsible received no reprimands whatsoever. Like I said before, if something is broke in the hospital, it became the job of the nursing staff to fix it. Or better yet, we were ultimately blamed for it. I believe this trend to protect the administration is in part due to the Peter Principle which states that members of a hierarchy are promoted until they reach a level at which they are no longer competent. Apparently, there is a growing acceptance of failures in the corporate world. It is changing the way companies approach innovation. While companies are beginning to accept the value of failure in the abstract, at the level of corporate policies, processes, and practices, it's an entirely different matter at the personal level. Everyone hates to fail. We assume rationally or not that we will suffer embarrassment, any loss of esteem, etc. And nowhere is the fear of failure more intense and debilitating than in the competitive world of business, where a mistake can mean losing a bonus, promotion, or even a job. Is this trend fair? I say no, but I don't run things. I guess another term for this trend is the good old boy club. I have worked in a corporate field for over 35 years now. We have seen CEOs come and go. However, they never truly disappear. They just get shuffled off to other corporations where they just repeat their mistakes all over again. I will include one real-life example here. Since the information is in the public domain, I will actually use his real name. The CEO of my first corporation that I worked at was Ronald J. Floto. The company was Cash and Carry, or K&K. It was owned by the parent company, Lucky Foods. This was the era of Reaganomics and hostile corporate takeovers. K&K was a highly profitable branch of the company, so it was sold off to prevent the whole company from being taken over. We became cell phone with Ronald J. Floto, still retaining his position as CEO. Unfortunately, we're highly leveraged and can barely stay solvent. It did not happen that one mistake. 
it did happen. That one mistake was made after one after another. Eventually, Food Lion bought us out. Um, otherwise, we would have went bankrupt. And Floto lost his job sub sub uh, subsequently. Super Kmart soon offered him the same position in their Super Kmart line, which he ran for three years. Does anybody remember Super Kmart's? He was more successful in his next job in Dairy Farm International, where he worked there for 10 years. During this time, he was involved in a startup called FLT International LLC, where he has been the president for 24 years and is currently still holding that position. So I rest my case that these top-level administrators have nine lives. I think this is because they find ways to spread the blame to lower-level employees. I believe the term is scapegoat. Scapegoat theory refers to the tendency to blame someone else for one's own problems, a process that often results in feelings of prejudice toward the person or group that one is blaming. Scapegoating serves as an opportunity to explain failure or misdeeds while maintaining one's positive self-image. I always wondered how I was going to work this information into my memoirs. Smiley face. So now that I have gone off on a tangent, let's get back to the subject at hand. This shakeup gave me the golden opportunity to test the critical care waters again. I asked for an interview with the ICU director and was granted it. The nursing director liked what she saw and agreed to hire me to the ICU after I completed my eight-week critical care course. However, there was a stipulation. I had to agree to work in the IMC for six or more months until they could hire more nurses. I readily agreed to this condition. The class was a combination of clinical, classwork, and self-paced computer courses. The time flew by quickly. I finished my course by passing the final exam, and I was given a couple weeks floor orientation. After eight months went by, I approached my boss about the agreement that was previously made. Unfortunately, the person that hired me no longer worked there, so I had to do some gentle reminding and just a little bit of arm twisting. While they did say yes, they wanted me to take the ICU class over again. I adamantly refused and said that it was, this was not part of the original deal. So they acquiesced, and I was transferred to the ICU, where I have worked until just recently. Now I find myself at another crosswords. I was fortunate in that my hospital was part of a small group of other hospitals, so after nine years, I was able to transfer to a sister hospital so that I could be closer to my new house. I still question the efficacy of this move. After two and a half years, I transferred back to my original hospital, where I worked an additional five months before I finally tendered my resignation. I was warned by my previous boss about transferring back. She said it was never the same when you went back. She was so right. However, the facility I transferred from was really not any better. I, however, can't totally blame administration for what happened to these hospitals. The COVID-19 pandemic has permanently altered medicine and the hospital workplace. I will discuss this matter more in depth in the next chapter. Prior to my last two transfers, I helped out the administration by doing relief charge nurse work in all the medical telemetry floors and the critical care floors as well. I also filled in as a relief for the house supervisor position at nights for over five years. When I made my last transfers, I stopped filling in as a relief charge nurse and supervisor. I frankly was tired of working in that capacity. As my career progressed and I aged, I just wanted to simplify my career path. This meant that I only wanted to take care of my two and sometimes three patients without the added stress of being responsible for other hospital staff. 
besides low-level and mid-level management, positions tend to be the least secure positions. As in my previous chapters, I will now discuss some of my coworkers and a few of my remarkable patients that I had the honor of caring for. One that I have noticed as I go through all my interesting patients in my head is that the list is shrinking. I wonder if it is because I now work at a hospital that is in the outlying section of the city. The vast majority of the staff I worked with over the 12 odd years were stellar and were all hardworking. However, only a few stick out as being unique enough to warrant a section of my memoirs. Like I said, this has nothing to do with their merit. It is simply a matter of available space. Over the course of my career, I work with hundreds if not thousands of different individuals, so you can see my conundrum. The first nurse I want to talk to, or talk about, is a bit of a world traveler in her own right. She was fortunate enough to start out her career right out of college as a nurse, which in Nevada is a fairly high paying position. She is just now closing in on her 30 year age mark and finally put her suitcases in the closet for a while to test the marriage waters. She has circumnavigated the globe and has visited and explored over 60 different countries, not to mention an untold number of island chains. While I don't care for her shotgun and rapid fire style travel, I do envy her the place that she has seen. I am close to twice her age and I have yet to break the 10 country mark. I guess if I had not gotten married and divorced twice and started off as a nurse, maybe I would have been able to do more international travel. Unfortunately or fortunately, you can't go back and do it all over again. Her early career choice has come with a heavy price tag. She has not even reached her 10-year mark in nursing and she is already getting burnt out. She just resigned a few months before I did. I wish her the best in her career in her, and in her new marriage. The second nurse I want to discuss is one that I have developed a truly unique relationship with. This nurse is another young woman who is also closing on the 30-year-old mark. She also just quit from my hospital with the same malady, burnout. She is truly a free spirit and does not have a spiteful bone in her young body. In an idle chat with her, I quite some time ago found out that she worked as a model to put herself through nursing school. So as you can most likely guess, she became my model. I do shoots on average of two to three times a year with her. She also has over 10 other photographers who she works with. I have been doing cosplay, glamour, and news with her for over five years now. She is a consummate professional, both in nursing as well as in modeling. She is simply a joy to work with. Even when I don't work with her in the medical environment anymore, I still do the odd photo shoot with her. As a matter of fact, I have four more shoots planned with her, after which I will close up my studio and shift to other photographic subject matter. I hope she keeps up her nursing career because she is a wonderfully caring individual. I next want to take some time to say how much I enjoyed talking to the housekeeping staff in both of these two hospitals I worked at. They are amazingly hard workers and are a joy to work with. They always say hello to me and ask how I have been doing. Considering that they make up some of the lowest paid employees in the hospital, they are among the friendliest group of people you can imagine. I am only going to discuss two non-COVID patients from my time working in these hospitals. These cases were two truly unique and amazing cases. Um, the first one I involved involved a beautiful young lady who had sickle cell anemia. It is truly an insidious disease that, if not controlled, can ruin any afflicted person's life. 
Sickle cell anemia is one of the group of disorders known as sickle cell crisis. Sickle cell anemia is an inherited red blood cell disorder in which there aren't enough healthy red blood cells to carry oxygen throughout your body. Normally, the flexible, round, red blood cells move easily through blood vessels. The cells die early, leaving a shortage of healthy red blood cells and can block blood flow, causing pain, sickle cell crisis. Infections, pain, and fatigue are symptoms of sickle cell disease. Treatments include medications, blood transfusions, and rarely a bone marrow transplant. One thing I did not know is that it can affect any race. It, however, is more common in African Americans, occurring in approximately 1 in 365 African Americans. The first time I met her was a medical telemetry patient. The nurse caring for her was unable to insert an IV in her, so as a clinical supervisor, it was my job to try and start these hard dicks or starts. That is how I became my relationship with this amazing young woman. She became a frequent visitor to our floor, and I was the one usually asked to start the IVs on her. After I moved on to the critical care unit, I did not see her for some time. Unfortunately, she apparently followed me to the unit, which meant that her condition was worsening. Over the period of the next couple of years, her visit became more frequent, and they lasted longer and longer. Apparently, her poor little body just gave up, and she passed away. She had just turned 22 years of age. She was a very difficult patient to care for because she was just simply so sick that most nurses could only care for her one to two days in a row. This was also in part because it was too emotionally draining due to her young age. I found it particularly difficult to care for her, especially as her and neared. Her legs had withered down to the sides of my arms. It was a sad day when she finally passed away, but it was also a godsend because over the last year or so, she had no real life to speak of. My other patient was also young. He died just after his first 21st birthday. He had pneumocystis pneumonia, or PCP, which is a serious infection caused by the fungus pneumocystis trovecki. Most people get PCP, have a medical condition that weakens their immune system, like HIV, AIDS, or take medications such as corticosteroids that lower the body's ability to fight germs and sickness. There were rumors surrounding how he became infected, but they are only rumors, so I will not discuss the subject. I never was fortunate to, enough to meet him when he was healthy. I only got to care for him at the very end of his truncated life. He was on a special breathing machine that produced very short pulses of air into his lungs, mainly because the lung tissue was so weakened that it could not tolerate the normal expansion that typically occurs between the inhalation and exhalation process. The machine is called a puff oscillator. He also had four chest tubes in place to keep his lungs from collapsing. Not to mention, he was on a whole slew of IV support medications. As his condition worsened, I notified the father, who never left his bedside, that he only had, at the most, a couple of hours left. So I let him know this so that he could contact friends or next of kin so that they could pay their last respects. What followed was truly amazing. He had, must have had a hundred people pass through his room to see him one last time. They all flowed in in a orderly fashion, two by two. When the line finally ended, he simply faded away. The father had long since made him a DNR, so we did not have to add insult to injury by trying heroic and futile attempts at resuscitation. Since she was my only patient that night, and it was nearing the end of my shift, I asked if I could go home. I told my boss that I was in no shape to care for another patient. 
Of all the terminal patients I cared for, this young man's death hit me the hardest. I will wrap up this section for now with my 20th chapter, which will cover my COVID-19 experiences. Um, unfortunately, I missed one little bit when I was reading this. Instead of redoing the whole thing, I will just read this one little section, and then I will say goodbye. I went. I would next want to discuss a mentor of mine, Sal. He oriented me to the hospital supervisor position. This man is also a true professional in every sense of the word. I have known him for close to 10 years. During this time, I have never seen him lose his temper or raise his voice. He has always been helpful and gives amazing advice. It has been an honor working with him all these years, and he will be sorely missed. I think that was an appropriate way to finish this chapter. You all have a great day, and as always, be safe and take care and never give up. Bye for now.